Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Kim Peek, and I am your hostess. I'm a runner and triathlon coach, and I started running about this time 10 years ago. I was also reminded by Facebook this morning that I started my original running blog, and the Power of Run Facebook page seven years ago this week. So happy anniversary to us, to all of you who have been right here with me the entire time for a few years, a few months, or who maybe just discovered me this week. Thank you. I'm glad you're here with me. You can hear the full story about how I got started running if you go back to episode one of this podcast. But I was thinking this morning about how When I first started running, it wasn't too much different in Kansas than it is right now today. We have a ton of snow and it's cold. And unless you're running in the streets or on trails with spiked or screwed shoes, you aren't running outside here because the sidewalks are packed with snow. And once it starts melting, we are going to have ice or slush for a while. I'm still running on ice that we had from... I don't even know when it snowed last, but it'll be a while before we're running on the sidewalks again. So back then, when I started running 10 years ago, we were doing a lot of running on the treadmill and on the track at the gym. And I say we because at the time I was working with a trainer and that trainer had several groups of four women who did group training with her. And as people who had sick kids or other urgent appointments, we would swap in and out of those various groups. And we all became friends. I really loved that time of life, working out at the gym with at least a dozen or more women that I knew in the weight room or on the cardio equipment or in a boot camp or a class at any point in time. I would go to the gym and it would be filled with people I knew. And there was always a friendly face and a person to encourage you in your workouts. And there was always someone who was willing to listen when anyone was going through something rough. And we were all moms with little kids at that time. So we all had something rough going on. Another fun part about that time was that we all had kids that took swimming lessons together and who played together in the gym's nursery. And our gym still has and had a fabulous nursery, and the kids really looked forward to going to the gym. And so even if we were having one of those days when we weren't really feeling like going to the gym, at least my kids always reminded me that it was time to get to the gym because they had friends to play and they were play with, and they were having a great time there. Now, I'm telling you this because I want you to remember that your fitness journey doesn't need to be a solo journey. And taking care of yourself and your body is not selfish. I've talked before about all the benefits of exercise, from how it can be a good tool for you to use if you have anxiety or depression. It can also help clear your mind and make you more productive. It can help give you energy in times of day when maybe you're feeling like you're dragging at two o'clock in the afternoon and you want that candy bar or whatever. Exercise can help pull you out of that energy slump. And it can be an incredible form of social support if you want it to be. So don't feel guilty when you take time for yourself. And if you're already working out but not taking time for a hot bath to relax at night or 
time to read, or time for prayer or meditation, pick one of those things and start that habit. Again, it's not selfish. It is smart self-care and your entire family will benefit when you start to really take care of yourself. I know you try to give up on exercising or you cut back on time for yourself because you're trying to be a good mom and there's lots of demands on your time. But really think about the importance of taking care of yourself and how that will benefit not just you, but everyone around you. Today, I also wanted to update you on how things are going with my word of the year. And I'm telling you this story because I want you to see how simple it can be to use one word to keep you focused on a single idea that can make your life better. If you listened to the episode from two weeks ago, which was called 10 Life Lessons for the New Year from Maui, you know that my word of the year is aloha. I want to keep the spirit of aloha alive every day. To me, aloha is all about being outside and being active and being kind and curious and grateful and really caring about those around you. That's how I feel when I'm in Hawaii and I just want that feeling with me every day. I think that will kind of ease some of that, um, what do you call that, salty feeling I have because I don't live in paradise every day. So because living in Maui isn't something that's in the cards for me at this point in my life, I decided that I wanted to bring the best of Hawaii to my life each day. Over the weekend, we got a ton of snow, and it was the most beautiful snow I remember seeing in years. And it happened to fall on a weekend, which isn't great for school kids who want a free day off of school, but it was awesome for a no-guilt day to play in the snow as a family. It was warm-ish and not windy, and the snow was a wet snow that was perfect for building a snowman or a fort. And if you know me, you know I am not a cold-weather person at all. Uh, I am the biggest whiner and biggest baby you will find when it is cold outside. It just messes with my mojo. But I decided to embrace the snow because I've been all about finding reasons to get outside in these colder months and be active and enjoy, embrace what every season has to offer. I'm really trying to make an effort to do that. So I went outside to shovel snow twice, which became a social event because all of the neighbors were out, and it was warm enough that it didn't feel like anyone was rushing to get back out inside. It was kind of like how it is on a lazy summer day when everybody's outside, maybe after dinner and the kids are playing. Anyway, so after I was done shoveling, I did that twice, I decided to go in the backyard and shovel a path for the dogs, because we all we had tons of snow, and I wanted to make sure that they would go outside to go to the bathroom and not pee all over my house, honestly. But when I was out there, I discovered that the dogs liked the snow and thought it was fun to chase the snowballs I made. I was making snowballs and then I was throwing them and they were having a ball and they were bouncing, like just flying through the air over these big, sinking into the snow and then jumping. And it was just so cute to watch. Pretty soon, the whole family, my kids, saw because I have teenagers at home. I have a 14 and 18-year-old, and then my 21-year-old is away at college in the warmer weather, at least warmer weather than what we have here. But pretty soon, my, my two teenagers 
saw that I was outside and they wanted to get in on the dogs playing in the snow. And so they came outside too. And so pretty soon we were all playing and having fun and it was a ball. But you guys, the snow was amazing. Our trees are still covered in white today and it looks like Narnia outside. Do you remember the pictures from the movie and just how beautiful it is with the contrast of the blue and the white and the trees just covered in white? That's what it looks like here still today. So while the snow was calming down, I heated up a the hot tub and the girls and I put on stocking hats and swimsuits and we ran through the snow to get to the hot tub. And again, it just felt magical. And because it wasn't a typical thing to do in Kansas in the winter, it was so much fun. And I hope something that my girls will remember, that crazy time that they sat out in the hot tub while the snow was gently coming down, sat there with their mom and their sisters and had fun and laughed. And so that is how I brought aloha to my life last week. If you haven't chosen a word of the year, I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of my December episodes and choose a word. It is such a simple way to stay mindful about how you want to spend your time and how you want to use your life. Now next, I want to review something that I talked about last week. Last week, I gave you some tips on how to develop a new habit. Behavior change is hard. We all know that. And we can be super motivated at the beginning of the year. And then as the weeks go on, we lose that excitement. And really by February, most of us have just given up on that resolution. Now, if your life is perfect just the way it is, there is no need to change a thing. But if you have even one little thing you want to change, it really does help to create habits and routines. Because I've talked before again and again, willpower has a limited ability to help us get us to our goals. You lose willpower as the day goes on, and it's just not enough to get you over that hump. Now, one strategy I gave you last week was something called habit stacking, where you tie a new habit to something that you already do consistently. And I gave you the example of how we had my daughter put her asthma medication next to her toothbrush so she would remember to take her Dulera, which is her asthma medicine, in the morning and evening when she brushes her teeth. One of the things I did was I got my booty back to cycle class, which is easy for me to do since I already have a habit of exercising each day. I just decided that two days a week that the exercise I would do would be to get my butt back to cycle class. And if I'm going to do a triathlon again this summer, which I've done several over the last many years, I just kind of stopped over the last two years since I began having some energy issues because of the medicine I'm on from basically to keep my cancer, the medicine I'm on to keep my cancer from recurring. But anyway, if I am going to do another triathlon again this year, I need to start swimming again. And I don't really love swimming enough to go to the gym just to swim. I will find a thousand other reasons to do anything except for swim. So I tied swimming to cycle class. And I told myself, each time I go to cycle class, I will swim for 30 minutes after. And so far, it is working great. Did you try this strategy last week? I want to know. I would love to hear how it worked for you. 
So be sure to comment on one of my Facebook posts or an Instagram post or send me a message or an email. For those of you who don't know how to contact me, my email address is coachkim at thepowerofrun.com. Send me an email. Just let me know how it's going for you. And if you tried this habit stacking approach or if you tried any of the other habit techniques that I taught you last week. Now I want to get on to this week's topic, tiny habits. In the book Atomic Habits, the author James Clear says, It's so easy to overestimate the importance of one defining moment and underestimate the value of making small improvements on a daily basis. Too often, we convince ourselves that massive success requires massive action. Whether it is losing weight, building a business, writing a book, winning a championship, or achieving any other goal, we put pressure on ourselves to make some earth-shattering improvement that everyone will talk about. So let's break that down. He's saying it's not always the big things that we think of as defining moments that equal success. Have you read Darren Hardy's book, The Compound Effect? This is the same thing. Small habits, repeated daily, work like compound interest. And the example from his book is a single penny that doubles every day for 31 days has a larger payoff over time than taking out $3 million in cash today. That one penny doubles and has more, a bigger payoff than if I would hand you $3 million in cash today. He also gives us a formula. Small, smart choices plus consistency plus time equals radical difference. And the second thing from that initial passage that I wanted to bring to your attention from Atomic Habits Habits is the idea that we tend to think we need to do these big things that will get people talking. But the big magic is in the boring details of habits we consistently stick with day after day. The things that aren't sexy, the things that aren't worth talking about, just these tiny things that we're doing. So something like switching from drinking Diet Coke to drinking water might not even feel to your body today like anything special. In fact, it might feel really painful because maybe you're getting caffeine withdrawal headaches. But over time, your body and your brain will feel the effects of making this tiny positive change to your habits. James Clear talks about making a 1% difference every day and says that you will end up 37 times better by the end of the year if you make an effort to get just 1% better every day. All of that effort adds up over time. And so that's what I want you to think about as I go through some of these examples. How can you in your life not make a massive sweeping change, but make just a 1% improvement in tiny habits over time? In his book, he gives several examples of teams that had losing records who completely turned things around in a year's time because they took the time to focus on the tiny details of their training. And I love this passage from the book, so I'm going to read this to you too. He says, If you were a basketball coach and you ignored your goal to win a championship and focused only on what the team does at practice every day, would you still get results? The goal in any sport is to finish with the best score, but it would be ridiculous to spend the whole game staring at the scoreboard. The only way to actually win is to get better each day. 
In the words of three-time Super Bowl winner Bill Walsh, the score takes care of itself. The same is true for other areas of life. If you want better results, then forget about setting goals. Focus on your system instead. Now let's think about this for a bit. If you want to finish your first half marathon, you need a goal. The goal would be finishing that race. It is the final destination of this imaginary road trip that you're taking. If you're using your car's GPS, you need to enter an ending point. Otherwise, you will drive aimlessly all over the country and you'll get distracted often and you'll take lots of side trips and detours, which might be fun and might be interesting, but it's not helping you get to that final destination. So you do need to know the direction you're headed, headed, and goals are good for knowing your direction that you're headed. They aren't bad, but they're not the only thing. In our half marathon road trip, there are certain behaviors we know we must repeat consistently to be able to get from not being a runner at all to being a half marathoner or from being a marathoner who maybe runs a little bit slower to being somebody who qualifies for Boston and then goes to Boston and then finishes Boston. So take this example where you need to go for your own personal situation. So going back to the running example, the first thing we need to do is to run consistently. And we need to run gradually. We need to gradually but consistently increase our mileage week to week. And we probably know that if we stop running for weeks at a time, we have to start over. So that consistency is really important here. What other habits might we improve just slightly week over week to make us better or stronger as a runner? Some of those things might be things like small changes in nutrition, sleep, hydration, and mindset. These all make a big difference over time, as do changes in our mobility and our strength. What I'm saying here is that you don't need to make big, huge leaps by focusing only on running. You can make small changes that lead to big improvements in how you perform as a runner, but you can make small changes in other areas that will make a huge impact. So I'm going to spend the next, the rest of the podcast actually, talking about those things I just listed off, the areas where you can make some small changes and give you some ideas about how you might be able to do that to affect your success. In terms of nutrition, you could start by eliminating things like diet sodas. Then you could work on decreasing the amount of sugary drinks you consume, which I know, yeah, it's hard. Maybe you cut back on the amount of alcohol you drink or the number of Starbucks drinks you order each week. That's a good place to start, right? After that, you could work on cleaning up your snacking and replace processed foods like crackers and chips with hummus and carrots or an apple with peanut butter. You pick what suits your taste buds. After that, you could look at your breakfast. Are you eating something out of a package? How about making up a fresh pack batch of oatmeal? Not the kind that comes in the small packages that have all the pre-added sugar, but real oatmeal that has to cook. Or maybe you make overnight oats and you have those in the fridge ready to go. Or make yourself some eggs in the morning. Upgrade your breakfast. Now you can do the same for lunch and dinner. Where can you make some small changes? Start maybe by cutting out the processed foods and adding real food. Add more fruits or vegetables to your meal. Add some 
smarter grains besides just loading up on the empty calories of bread. Again, think about fruits, veggies, nuts, seeds, healthy foods that have a lot of nutritional value rather than things full of empty calories. Next, let's look at your sleep habits. We all know we need an average of eight hours of sleep a night. Some need more and some need less. But those of you who think you function best on four to five hours of sleep, you're deluded. We all need more sleep than four to five hours. And if you're waking up tired and not full of energy, you need to address your sleep habits. Start by working on getting to bed at a consistent time. I think I talked about this in the episode called Five Tips to Defy Aging. In that episode, I gave a bunch of tips for getting to bed, falling asleep, and staying asleep. If you can't get to bed at a decent hour, start looking at the habits you need to change so that getting to bed early is even possible. Take a look at your evening routine and think about ways to tweak that. If your problem is that you're going through perimenopause and the hot flashes have you waking up at night, look into options like keeping a fan in your room, sleeping with minimal clothing on, cooling the room before you go to bed so you can always find that, you know, that cold spot that your foot is always looking for. Or maybe that's just me. I'm always looking for the cold spot in the bed or the cold spot on my pillow. They make new pillows now and different types of mattress toppers that can help you find the cold spot. And if you're someone who wakes up at all hours to check her phone, put the phone across the room or in another room. Your phone is a distraction. It makes sounds. It lets off a type of light that disrupts your sleep. You will sleep better without that phone next to your head. There are lots of ways to get better sleep, so look up those past episodes or Google ways to sleep better. But if you aren't sleeping well, this will have an enormous effect on your life and your athletic performance. Another tiny habit you could work on to improve your performance is hydration. According to an article on the Mayo Clinic's website, and I will link these articles in the show notes, even mild hydration can affect our mood and our ability to concentrate. In a study of healthy women, mild dehydration dampened moods, increased fatigue, and led to headaches. Overall, women's mental ability was not affected by mild dehydration, but they did have an increase in perception of task difficulty and lower concentration. So even if you're slightly dehydrated, it affects your ability to concentrate, it affects your mood, it gives you headaches, And it can make just normal things seem so much harder than they would normally seem to you if you just drank more water. Isn't that wild? But women were also more fatigued, and this was true during mild exercise and when they were sitting at a computer. There's also another study that shows that exercise performance is impaired when an individual is dehydrated by as little as 2% of their body weight. And losses in excess of 5% of body weight can decrease the capacity for work, like working out, exercise, that kind of work, by about 30%. There's a bunch of sciencey stuff that shows that even slight dehydration decreases, decreases blood volume, and that increases blood thickness, which affects how the heart fills with blood. And all of that means your blood isn't circulating as efficiently and you're mo- not moving oxygen as efficiently. And as we all know... That is something that is critical for an athlete if you want to run 
faster, and more efficiently. Your hydration clearly affects your ability to function in life, but even slight dehydration affects athletic performance. So this is an easy one to address to get that boost you need. If you're going to bed at night and your pee is still yellow, that's a big, big flashing signal there, a big sign that you are not doing a good enough job of hydrating throughout the day. So keep an eye on the color of your urine and just try to get in the habit of drinking more. Next, I want to look at mobility. If your ankles are tight and you can't move through the proper range of motion when you land, you're going to feel that somewhere. It might make your calves tight or your feet hurt, or you might feel it in your shins. Who knows? It's all so individual, depending on what else is going on in your body. If you sit at a desk all day, you probably have tight hip flexors, and that affects your ability to get your leg behind you when you run. And if your quads are too tight, you probably feel that as knee pain. And the list goes on and on. If you don't have quality range of motion, it's going to show up in your running. You could be in so much pain that you have to take time off, which affects your consistency. Or you could have smaller issues that affect your balance or your speed. Remember that when you run, it is a series of when you're in flight, a flight phase, with a series of landing motions. So every time that foot hits the ground, you are doing some sort of a braking motion. So you want to land smoothly and with good balance so that you aren't doing the little things that cause braking motions and slow you down each time your foot propels you through the air and you land. So you could also even be in so much pain that you have to take time off, and that affects your consistency, which I've already said. But you could have smaller issues as well. If your left foot hurts, that means you're going to adjust your running gait so it hurts less. But this might result in an injury to a muscle on the other side of your body. Everything is connected, and the little things we do as runners affect our form and affect our speed. So I like to recommend that runners go through a warm-up before they exercise. And this is where some of these tiny habits come in. A warm-up before you exercise and focus on mobility a few times a week. Do the wall test to see if your ankles are moving well. And if you don't know what that is, I'll link a video of the wall test in your show notes, in the show notes. But you want to make sure that your knee, when you put your foot a couple of inches from the wall and move your knee, like you kneel, and then move your knee toward the wall that your knee can get beyond your toes into the wall. And I'll show you a video so you can visualize that. Most runners that I encounter do not have perfect range of motion in their ankles. And that affects just their ability to run smoothly. Another thing you can do is to foam roll your calves. Put a ball under your desk and roll your arches while you work. You can make sure you stretch after you run. You can take breaks during your workday to stretch your hip flexors. All of these tiny things will add up. You don't need to go do them all today. Pick one thing a week and try to make that 1% change each week until you're developing a bunch of habits that make you run stronger. Again, no life overhauls, just little tiny changes that add up. Speaking of strength, 
Strength training is key for runners. We need to stop thinking that time in the weight room or time doing yoga or time doing mobility is wasted time. I know lots of runners only want to run, and I get that. I would prefer to spend my time running too, but I have learned over time that if I skip these tiny things, that's when I get injured. And what does injury do? It knocks you out of the game for a while. And then you have to always start over. You want to be able to be strong enough and mobile enough so that you are consistently able to run and to exercise and to just keep going. I get it. I get it that you don't like to do the strength training. But just think about how much better you'll run and how much injury, how much less injury prone you'll be if you take time to get stronger. Strong glutes, glutes help propel our bodies. Strong abs support our bodies. Strong arms don't get tired when we run. Strong calves help prevent injury and make us faster. And this one is especially true for female masters runners. We need those strong calves and strong hips and strong glutes and a strong core. It makes us more resilient and helps us be able to run for the long term, the long haul. I know that I want to be able to run for a long, long time. And I'm sure that if you're listening to this podcast or if you're somebody who I know from my Facebook page or my running circles, you also want to be able to run for a long, long time. So again, no need to overhaul your life to make these changes. Work them into your day or drop one run a week and make it a strength day. You can work those tiny habits into your day by setting times throughout the day that you'll do certain exercises. Maybe you do 25 squats when you brush your teeth in the morning to help you wake up or a 30 second plank each time you get up from your desk or a single leg deadlift each time you put your shoes on. Find what works for your life and then start taking those tiny steps to work in more positive behaviors that will help get you to your ultimate goal. And the last one I want to talk about today is mindset. And this is a huge topic, but it affects our success in such big ways. First, we have to believe that we can make progress. We have to believe in ourselves. And if you don't have some, if you don't believe in yourself, find somebody who does believe in you. And if you don't have somebody who believes in you, then join one of my groups on Facebook. Go to Facebook and type in Power of Run Strength Challenge, and I think you'll find one of my groups. Or send me an email at Coach Kim at Power of Run. No, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. Coach Kim at ThePowerOfRun.com. And I will be that person who believes in you. I know I've mentioned Kara Goucher's book Strong before. It's a quick read and a book I think all runners should own. In the beginning of the book, she says, Running is a head game. When you're running, there are two options. Let your mind wander or focus. To compete, you must focus. Every step, every breath, and every muscle movement matters for 26.2 miles. When your body is being pushed to the max, it's easy to let your mind go to a dark place and tell you all kinds of things. Everyone here is better than me. I'm not ready for this. My knee hurts. Something is off. The thing is, there are a million reasons why you can't achieve your goals. All it takes is focus and determination to find the reason you can. 
Let that sink in. Our minds are so powerful and our thoughts affect us in ways we don't even realize. As a runner, you can make small changes to your mindset to help you run harder when it counts, to help you run more efficiently, to help you run more confidently, or to help you push through the pain, or to even have a better attitude about your workouts. Dina Castor shares similar thoughts in her memoir, which is called Let Your Mind Run. The subtitle of this book says it all, Thinking My Way to Victory. In this book, Dina shares many examples of how positive thinking and mindset worked, helped her become a world-class runner. And she's amazing. If you've read anything about her, just, just go buy the book or go to her website, read her quotes. She's phenomenal. In the prologue to the book, she says, I began to create positive moments by bringing gratitude and enjoyment to the day. Focusing on positive emotions further increased my drive and self-belief, powering my training. I became fitter and faster and began reaching goals I'd originally believed were improbable. So I set new ones. And then later on, she adds, positive thinking has long been considered a powerful life tool to the point it has almost become cliche, yet its great power emerges when applied as a lifelong process. Changing a single thought improved the moment I was in, but years of dedicated practice changed my career, my life, and ultimately me. Now, I talk about mindset all the time, and it's one of the reasons I added journaling to the Booties and Burpees Challenge in December. It's also a reason why, as a coach, every week I have some mindset lesson or thought or journaling prompt in my clients' training plans because I want them always thinking and being aware of their thought processes. I think we can all make huge improvements in our athletic abilities and our lives if we work on mindset. So just think about where you can start. Maybe it's with a mantra that you repeat when you run. I am strong. I am capable. I love hills. Or how about writing something that you're grateful for and placing that note in a jar before bed each night. Practice gratitude. Or you could start with being aware of the negative self-talk that creeps in your mind. Maybe that is your starting point. Maybe you are so negative that you just need to be aware of it. And by being aware of it, that helps you decrease the amount of negative self-talk that you have. Or maybe you're catching yourself now and you work on trying to replace those thoughts with thoughts that serve you better. Because your negative thoughts do nothing positive for you, but you can always come up with a different perspective, a different way to spin it that will help you train better, be better. So so work on that. And we're going to talk about this more in coming episodes. But there you have it, some tiny habits you can use to transform the trajectory of your life, your fitness, and your running. Remember that you'll only set yourself up for failure if you try to overhaul your life. So pick one habit and get good at that habit Keep at it, and then when you have that one going strong, add another one. And over time, you will begin to see the results. And just like a championship team that focuses on getting good at the basics, you are going to have such a strong foundation, and you are going to see massive change by the end of this year, just by trying to get slightly better day after day. Thank you all for listening. 
Be sure to rate and review the podcast over on iTunes. It would help me a ton. And if you need a coach, remember to check out my programs at crushingmygoals.com slash store. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe. As a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.